Eits jolla kali. Welcome, we are presenting another episode of CPS. Cruel Public Schooling. It is the middle ground between unrest and discipline. Between injustice and corruption. And it lies between the pit of a student's fears. And the summit of their knowledge. This is the dimension of education. It is an area which we call the cruel public schooling. A dimension that intends to scrutinize the CPS system through its core from a student's eyes. Hey guys, welcome back. This is Cruel Public Schooling, a segment where we focus on any issue that regards CPS and, you know, impacts any students, parents, or teachers. And I am your host, Melissa. And for this episode, Cruel Public Schooling actually got invited to this Bocas Alone Responsive Production, which is like an extension program that exhibits um the exhibition, you know, When We Fight and We Win. And it's currently like, you know, administered by Chicago Art Department from like August 14 to September 26. And yeah, that's basically it. Like we, I mean, Crew Public Schooling just got invited, you know, to discuss anything regarding, you know, the SRO programs or... Or just the school to prison pipeline, and since I am a CPS student, and another one of my peers called Alejandro Colunga, he also was a former CPS student. I think it just provided like a good insight about what's happening in CPS and how former CPS students feel about you know CPS in general. Anyway, the whole panel was hosted by Silvia Inés González, who we did have on the first episode of Crow Public Schooling. So I think the whole panel was very interesting i definitely had like fun in it so i think it's really good that people listening here should listen to the know the panel so i will be providing that right now so without further ado let's get to it all right everybody so thanks for joining today i am silvia gonzalez and i um recently curated a show called when we fight we win at chicago art department here in chicago and i want to start off by sharing that work and then introducing uh, introducing the Yolokali youth and Stephanie um, doing work through podcasting and visual arts uh, to talk about CPS, which for them stands for Cruel Public Schooling. So before we get into that part of the conversation, I'm going to share my screen and introduce the show so folks can get a good handle on what today's session is about. So When We Fight, We Win is a moment to celebrate the work that the Chicago Teachers Union, as well as other supporting uh, unions and um, community stakeholders have been a part of for not just a teacher contract that reflected equity for um, our labor work, our labor movement, but also uh, it was a moment where we were able to bring into the conversation the need for librarians, restorative justice workers, counselors, nurses in schools every day and advocate for the homeless population and the displaced population of our city. And so for us, it was a time where we were, a we were able to stall our contract in order to make sure that 
the city was having these conversations in conjunction with CPS and in conjunction with the Chicago Teachers Union. So for me, creating the show and curating it was a moment to uplift and celebrate that work, but also ask what comes next and how do we continue to sustain this movement and sustain this work so that um, it's an ongoing conversation that is very clear and intentional um, for, for the ways in which we are imagining school now. So one of the things that has brought folks together uh, are collective art builds that happen at the Chicago Teachers Union site, but also now that we've been going through a pandemic have been happening at a in a slightly different capacity, but still manages to bring folks together to create work um, that is then used on the streets for marches and rallies. So um, all of that work, not all of it is exhibited, but a majority of that work is now on display at Chicago Art Department and it's a live exhibition. So if people want to borrow some of these banners or to use some of these things, they can take it off the wall, take it to the streets and bring it back when they're done. Um, so it's a live show in the sense that it's asking us to continue to participate. So on the note of participation, I wanted to bring in some wonderful people, Alejandro and uh, Melissa and Stephanie, to talk not just about participation, but also production. What are the ways in which folks of color are coming together to create or to use tools of resistance through art and through art making and collective art building and how those then also become like a site of learning. So it's not that we need schooling in the same way that we've known it, but it's that when we're out marching with these banners, the streets become the classroom. When we produce podcasting relevant to young people's lives, the podcast becomes a moment to learn. When we create strong visuals with a strong message, those visuals become the language that helps to drive movement work. So I'm now going to move it over to introducing Alejandro, and Alejandro, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and then uh, show us the work that led to your design for Cruel Public Schooling, that would be wonderful. Cool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, hey, my name is Alejandro Colunga Jr. Uh, I am currently an administrative assistant and teaching artist at Yolo Valley Arts Reach, and I'm also a student at UIC uh, pursuing a degree in art education. So a lot of the things that led to uh, the work or the, the image that I created for Melissa and Stephanie and Cool Public Schooling started off with me as a student uh, in Chicago Public Schools. Uh, it's in the Juarez. I graduated there in 2017. Uh, and during my time there, a lot of my peers, uh, teachers, uh, began organizing a lot of uh, walkouts and protests against the, the school to prison pipeline, right? To, to end it. Uh, and just because of our own experiences as like students being targeted by the police within our school. So this is kind of what set the stage for me. Moving on from that, I graduated from college, started going to UIC, and I, I kind of became a little disconnected with what was going on in CPS, just because I was no longer there every day. I wasn't having these conversations as much as I used to. But then this past year, we had the CTU strike, right? And a few of my friends and I were talking about like, oh, what can we do? How can we 
stand in solidarity and, and continue to, to push for the things we want to see in our schools, especially as future, future educators and especially having people we know, people we love still as students within the system, right? Um, so CTU organized uh, an art build where they invited community members, students, teachers uh, to come create posters, flyers, banners. And we felt that as artists, as art educators, as art students, this was like the best place to show our support. Um, so uh, my friend Elizabeth and I joined the art build and we spent our entire day just painting these banners. A super cool experience. Saw a lot of my old high school teachers, a lot of my former classmates. I'm still wearing my pop-up youth radio t-shirt right there. <laughs> um, then with that, recently we started having these conversations about policing and then we had, you know, everything that's been really going on leading up to now. And that brings us up to date, I guess. Uh, so then, yeah, uh, Stephanie and Melissa hit me up uh, earlier this year and they asked me to create an image for or for cool public schooling and they basically let me do whatever i wanted i remember kind of panicking at one point and asking melissa like what she wanted or what stephanie wanted and they're just like do you like so i thought back about back to the time when i was still a student in cps um and what like it felt like especially like having the, this police in our school uh, like to this day i remember like exactly where they would park up by our front door and just like catch anyone who was either ditching or um, fighting, whatever, maybe. Uh, so they're just like always kind of like hidden in the corner in the background. I kind of wanted to capture that with the, with the image I created. So I chose to illustrate people who were my classmates. I asked them if I could like draw them, render them and include them in this image because I wanted the people in this to be like, actual students, right? To be a reflection of like, who's in these schools. But with that, I wanted the police and the riot gear like ominously sitting in the background, watching the students as they like walk past the building, which is essentially just like how we felt as students. I don't know, uh, Melissa, I think you wanna jump in. Sure, um, so again, my name is Melissa Regalado. I'm a senior at Little Village Lando High School. And I've been a part of Yolokali for, I think, two and a half years since I started, I think um, summer 2018. This is like kind of a new project for me because this makes me, well, essentially this, like I, my instructor, Stephanie, she um, asked me if I was willing to do this like type of segment podcast. And it just dealt with any like CPS issue since being, I'm a CPS student. I mean, it just seems like, the perfect thing to do i mean i've always kind of had an interest with like um covering more about like more education for my school or just like in general cps because a lot of stuff happens in cps and like not, i don't see a lot of people covering it or if we do it's either covered in a very biased perspective where like we see cps as being productive when a lot of the times it's not the case so when doing cruel public schooling i tried to um the whole mission of it is for justice for black and brown students and other students in general, but predominantly black and brown because of the reason that there's just a lot of black and brown students in CPS and a lot of these places aren't like, there's no equity in there. So when doing the cruel public schooling, I do want to cover like different topics that 
varies in um, CPS. When covering the school resource officers, like, I mean, we're even basically, we have cops in schools, like it sounds kind of sketchy, you know? So when doing that, I do wanna like cover up the fact that how a lot of students, and I, I could say a lot of students don't agree with the SRO program and how CPS chooses to ignore a lot of the students and teachers' point of view and kind of has this little like deal with um, CPD, which is like severely unfair, you know? So when doing that, I do like, my whole mission was it like to uncover like either different perspectives on it. And when doing that, um, it came to the realization that a lot of these teachers were actually against it, you know? were against having the SRO program. And just discussing that also with the 33 million budget they have, that's a lot of money. If like you if you do the math and all of that, that's a lot of money. There's no reason why like an SRO officer needs that much. It also unravels a lot of these questions like what is what is the whole like our education system's intentions in this? And just like what what CPS in general like values more is it value more for like any profit or is it actually like the mission to you know educate students educate the future generations and all that and another thing is I asked a lot of students about how they felt personally about having SROs and from my personal experience I think it's very militarizing because it's no longer like a safe a safe place for you to learn and like just grow as a person it's more of a kind of like a very disciplinary like mindset where punishment equals like you know if you do something wrong pun that's your punishment or something and this relates a lot to the school or prison pipeline because just you know school or prison pipeline just you're marginalizing black and brown students and there's even countless studies that I even mentioned that how if you're like from a better school or like just you know your race as a white person you'll get slapped on the wrist for the same punishment that a black and brown student will do and they'll probably go to juvie or something. They'll have way worse punishments on that. And how this is the SRO program implements that a lot because even if CPS states that they don't want to school to prison pipeline or they don't want to further that, it clearly shows that they're furthering that by having that SRO program implemented in all of schools. It's very marginalizing. It's militarizing. It's a fear tactic, and I just think it's really unfair. And just come on, like $33 million of resources. Like there's way more better things. Like even if, um, I'd say for example, if a student acts up, that money could be redistributed for a social worker who will talk to that student and just, you know, come to the consensus about what that student is going through and what are ways that you can talk to them. You know, it just goes through that mindset. And um, I know Alejandro, she, he's been a, he's a former CPS student. So I don't know if he had any input for that. Yeah, so in high school, I, I also saw these, like, how police presence was negatively affecting our school, specifically on the south and west side of Melissa side. Uh, and, like, as I got older and started to, do, like, research on my own and, and kind of look into, um, like, the numbers, you start to see, like, how real this is. Like, it's not just, like, my experience or Melissa's experience or our friends. Like, this is happening district-wide across the entire country. But here specifically in Chicago, just to give you some random, some not random, some numbers on student demographics, we have 36% of CPS students are black. That is of last year, last school year, 2019-2020, but made up of made up 73% of the total arrests on school grounds. Those numbers just don't add up. How is it that one third of the student population accounts for three quarters of the arrests made like it literally makes no sense 
And we also have to start thinking about like, why is it, why is this a trend, right? It's not like black students or brown students are like inherently bad and like are, are just like bad people, right? No, like what is leading to these arrests? And uh, I think we have to start paying attention more to like people's own bias, especially as teachers. Cause I know firsthand experience, I had a lot of teachers who uh, were scared of their students, who, who felt like their students, including myself, were like bad kids and like just didn't know how to control us or, or handle us and would often call in the police to de-escalate uh, certain situations, which is a student talking back. Or, and I think that just has to do with the fact that if we look at our student demographics and compare them to our teachers, we're not seeing uh, a mirrored image, right? Like the stu- the teachers aren't having similar backgrounds as a student. I think that's having a big impact on the way students interact with their teachers and tr- like learn to trust their teachers, right? Because I don't think it's a coincidence that my favorite teacher and the teacher who I felt had the greatest impact in my life was someone who grew up in La Villita and went to Curie High School, right? Like, and I went, I grew up in Pilsen and went to Quadra. Just knowing that she grew up in the area and had similar life experiences as my own really helped me have like a really positive experience throughout high school. And it was because, just because of that, I think one of my earliest moments was just like the music we were listening to, like house music playing in the background during class. So, you know, it's like those little things that leads to that like level of trust and that like comfort in the classroom. And going back to like comparing the student demographics and the teacher demographics, white teachers make up over 50% of, uh, of staff in CPS schools. They're, they're like, half our teachers but over let me see over half our students are black and latinx i think the demographics are 36 percent black student population 46 percent latinx 10 percent white and four percent asian uh, and then the teachers are 21 percent black 21 percent latinx and then over 50 percent white and then four percent asian like those numbers aren't aligning whatsoever and i think that shows just by the way uh, students and teachers interact with one another on a day-to-day basis. Oh, yeah. I mean, I totally agree with what, like, um, Alex is saying. Just, like, you know, just me, my own experience, just growing up in Little Village and having that, I feel like I have more connections to my Black and Brown teachers just because I don't, I think they understand what we're going through most because, I mean, a lot, not a call out my teachers or anything, but, you know, a lot of them were either grew up on a suburb and are kind of, like, don't really understand what, a lot of these struggles are for like a lot of black and brown students, especially going, just acknowledging the fact that a lot of these teachers don't live inside this neighborhood or live up north. So they don't know anything that's happening right now. They don't know how there's a lot of trauma here just because of like gang violence and just having a just having poverty in, like in this area can be something very traumatic. And it's just not, it's not, it's very, it's detrimental for a student just having these impacts and just, going into school and wanting that situation, wanting to go learn and stuff and just not having the um, sufficient resources for that or not having enough help or having like very cluttered like classes, you know. From my experience, there's like 40 students and one teacher. That's 40 pupils and one teacher. Like that's not enough. While you go to other schools or any of that, there's like 20, 20, 15 students per like teacher. And you see that as like how the difference is because if you have like lesser students and the teacher is more prone to like, you know, pay more attention to you and not saying that they don't pay attention still, but you know, they're like, they help you out more in that sense. And just going on to that gap, um, they're cutting off funding for teachers. So that means we don't even have enough 
money for teachers, essentially. There's no money for other resources. And still CPS is still giving money to CPD just to supply them, just in the sense of more militarizing. It's just useless for me, in my opinion, that just having this class that is over cluttered, no sense of resources, and just doing the best what you like can do at that moment. And is a lot of this can like compares to like, you know, the school to prison pipeline, this race disparity, how a lot of other students and better neighborhoods or just because of their race have a certain advantage of that. And I just do want to acknowledge the fact that also my community, it has a very low um, graduation, like enrollment or like rate, like not a lot of students here graduate. And I want to also like, you know, take in that part that like in order for, or the reasoning why a lot of people might argue that um, these students are doing bad is because how our communities are built, you know, if it's low income, there's probably going to be gang violence. There's probably going to be any other thing because, you know, people are kind of either worrying about other stuff or making sure they're able to survive and stuff. So it does, a lot of this contributes to how low income neighborhoods don't do as much because one, a lot of things are accounted by test scores and low test scores means not enough funding. Not enough funding means not a lot of students are having like these resources like better books or and better teachers or anything of that sort. So that goes countlessly like go to like, I think five more years then it starts to plummet more and more and more and that's how you start to notice how there's a race disparity and especially in Chicago I mean Chicago is one of the most segregated cities in like the nation and you can clearly tell what like schools are doing better like more more schools from the north side are actually doing better and just that's just because you know the community is thriving there's more attention there's more unity in that community and it impacts a lot of what the the quality of education is and we're back. So remember, this is Cruel Public Schooling, and I am your host, Melissa. So I really do hope you enjoyed um like a little insight of what the panel was about and like the discussions we were having. So I definitely do want to address like or go on further of what we were discussing. So we were discussing a lot of the issues that were impacting, you know, the SRO program and the school to prison pipeline. And I like to discuss more about like what was happening like thoroughly about you know why a lot of like low-income neighborhoods don't tend to like you know succeed or why there's a lot of violence in low-income neighborhoods you know it all impacts funding so take it this way like if every if the students in that school are testing and they test pretty low for whatever reason didn't receive that much funding and because of that that also impacts how the quality of education is which, you know, starts to dwindle and dwindle and it's just getting less and less. And that's a lot of like problems where other schools don't receive that much funding or don't have the unnecessary materials to, you know, provide for their students. And that's how a lot of these issues come up with the school to prison pipeline where students choose to. So if they're not getting that necessary attention in school, then they might go to another places and might be caught up in something else. Or, you know, just having like police there provides like a very unsafe environment for students where it's no longer something that is used for safety but you know it's just to discipline and control and I do believe that like creating that environment is very detrimental to a student you know it just impacts you like I don't know how much to further explain it like you can't have violence or anything authoritative right like right in front of your presence you know is when it's unfair like you don't see that in other schools you don't see that in you know other environments and that's that it doesn't create a safe environment where you can learn and learn from your mistakes and be able to like process of what you're doing wrong and how, why is that wrong so so basically the panel was all about that and you know how we chose to do cruel public schooling and all that so you know big thank you to 
you know, my instructor, Stephanie Mandriquez and um, Alejandro Colunga, who was the one who um, who designed the pro- the logo for Cruel Public Schooling. So big thanks for them. I appreciate it a lot. Before this thing ends, I just want to give a little bit of updates to what's happening with CPS and, you know, just prepare ourselves for, you know, the beginning of the school year, which is, again, September 8th. So as of August 25th, CPS announced that over, like, 18,000 and plus students sign up for the free internet like by chicago connect like a program i mentioned i think the last show too and you know and classes begin like less than a week so it's just like if you haven't signed up and you know you don't have internet you know this is a great time for you to sign up you can literally just search it up on the on the cps website and you should have received a letter too there's literally a link and information there and you can just sign up and make sure you have working internet and going on to that like mary laura lifefoot announced it it was like a 50 million dollar plan back in june and since you know since you know we're all going remote this year pretty much have to make sure that you have like you know the sufficient thing and also because of that like the district is also working with 35 community-based organizations you know to get the word out that Chicago Connect is you know reliable wi-fi or internet in general and you know just sign up if you haven't signed up and also I do want to also propose that um, before September 1st is a new proposal for like kind of CPS providing free childcare during remote learning and basically, the proposal would have, like, parents drop off their kids um, out of a select area, wherever they have it, but they have it, like, around the whole city. And But first, thing you need to fill out a survey that's due on September 1st. The survey is kind of issuing parents, you know, to put whatever they need. So just put the basic information out. The plan includes having kind of like a sort of guidance or mentors who will help, you know, students do their homework and do their work. At the same time, practicing social distancing and having every student, you know, distance from themselves. So they're trying to be safe as possible. And also they will provide, you know, students with free breakfast and lunch and whatever thing they kind of need. So again, like the survey should have been sent to you by email and it's like on a google doc survey and you have until september 1st you know to sign up so that was basically it just remember school starts on september 8th that's when we'll know like if you know remote learning works or not so that was basically it it was a pleasure to have you guys just you know just this little moment to talk about whatever's happening in cps and that's basically it you know this was cruel public schooling and i am your host melissa and this is episode five so whoop whoop that's cool I hope you enjoyed it. This was another episode of CPS. Cruel Public Schooling. (laughs) 